the topic for today sounds a bit funny. Uh, who is Jesus? Like, <laughs> it's supposed to be uh, an obvious answer, right? Like, easy thing. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus, really? But you know, when you really begin to think about it, you realize that mm, the answer is not that straightforward. Who is Jesus? Um, am I going to say Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, that's correct. Are we going to say Jesus is God? Okay, that's correct. Are we going to say Jesus is the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world? Yes, that is correct. Are we going to say Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah? That is correct. Are we going to say Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Yes, that is correct. But you see, the more you begin to think about it, the more you realize, hmm, um, the answer is really not that straightforward because... Um, Jesus is a lot of things to different people at different points in time. Okay? And an understanding and a comprehension of all of these facts will not just help us be better Christians, it will also help us develop a better relationship with God and it will also help us be more effective witnesses. It will help us become more effective witnesses. Okay, so um, Jesus in the Bible is called the Son of God. Uh, he mostly referred to himself as the Son of Man. And while some persons may think mm, that the Son of Man is just, uh, you know, Jesus trying to kind of show us that he's human, the Son of Man is actually a divine title that many people are not aware of so let's take uh let's let's read first daniel chapter 7. so b basically you know in if, if if you've read the book of ezekiel you know it calls ezekiel son of man a lot son of man what seest thou say i see this son of man prophesy son of man this okay so jesus is not the only person referred to as the son of man but in his own sense it is a divine title uh, let's look at uh, like Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, yes. And I think verse uh, 13. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now, this is one uh, Old Testament a prophecy about Jesus Christ okay we're going to look at some of them okay so this scripture Daniel 7 uh, 13 it says I saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days so this is talking about two distinct personalities the son of man ancient of days okay and we're going to look more into some of these uh, the differences and similarities but before um this is not in my notes but before i before we look into who jesus is it's important we know who jesus is not okay uh it, there's lots of speculation among teachers bible preachers about uh, uh what 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 they believe to be manifestations of jesus christ in the old testament and many people believe that Melchizedek uh, was a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, I have preached that before because I heard another preacher that I respect preach it. And the, the, the truth is, a lot of things people preach is not really because they, they dug in to find out if it's true or not. They just um, preach it because they hear someone else that, or they heard someone else that they respect preach it. Okay? Um... What is the argument for Melchizedek being a type of Christ? It is because in Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 7, it says, Melchizedek neither had a father nor a mother, neither beginning of days nor end of years. And, you know, everybody's like, okay, this person has to be Jesus. But, you know, those, those attributes alone does not qualify a person to be Jesus. Yes, king of Salem. Okay, yeah, they use that too. But, okay, let me just break that down. Salem... Salem is peace, okay? Where we call Jerusalem today, uh, what was Salem then is 
is uh, what we call Jerusalem today. So it was an actual place. Okay, and he was called uh, the king of Salem and also called uh, the king of righteousness. And so people use that to say it is Jesus. But no, um, it, is, it is not Jesus. Um, it, it is not Jesus at all. Because I'm going to show us how we can know when it is Jesus in the Old Testament or not. Uh, because the truth is, I think the Bible is one of the most explicit documents out there that tells you this person raped this person, even though it doesn't need to go into those details. It tells you this person committed adultery. This person got drunk and was naked. This person did this. So I, I think the Bible is actually quite explicit in, you know, in its um, presentation of facts and details. Okay, all right. So, uh, uh, so, so some of those things they say he was the, the, the king of Salem, but Salem was an actual place. Today's Jerusalem. Okay, it was called Salem. And then when it was taken over by the Jebusites, it was, it was called Jebus. Okay, the name changed to Jebus. So by the time the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, Salem no longer existed. It was now Jebus because it was controlled by the Jebusites. And then when David eventually conquered it, uh, that, was that was when David, uh, you know, that was when it, it, it became Jerusalem. Okay. But you know, um, so why 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 is Melchizedek not Jesus? It's because if it was Jesus, the Bible would have told us so. But the Bible doesn't tell us so. It just gives us certain attributes. These attributes could have been an angel, right? Angels angels uh, angels don't have parents, right? It could have been an angel. But um, we don't know who Melchizedek is. That's the truth. Some other preachers, people that I respect, uh, Kenneth Copeland shares this view. Um, that Melchizedek was Shem. Shem, that is uh, one of the sons of Noah. And there are some, you know, biblical permutations that bring about that uh, to that conclusion. But I also do not agree with that. Okay, because then, uh, what do you say about the, the part in Hebrews where it says he, he did not have parents and, you know, he, he, he did not have beginning of days. You see, so all of these uh, theories... I don't know who Melchizedek is. The truth is nobody knows who Melchizedek is. But it's safe to say that Melchizedek is a divine uh, or a celestial, let me not say divine, is a celestial being that was on the earth for, for a particular duration to serve uh, certain purposes. He could well be one of the 24 elders before the throne of God. He could well be, okay? He could well be. We don't know who he is. Just like we don't know who those 24 elders are. Some persons have said uh, 12 from the Old Testament, 12 from the New Testament. I really don't know how people come up with this, you know, with these theories, you know. So who are the 12 from the Old Testament and who are the 12 from the New Testament? Okay, uh, in case you say the 24 elders, are, uh, the 12 from the New Testament are the 12 apostles of the Lamb. It was John that wrote about the 24 elders. And at the time he was writing it, John was still alive. So there's no way the 24 elders could have been the 12 apostles of the Lamb. There's no way the 24 elders could have been... Uh, you know the old, you know the the old test. You know it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense. We have to be content with the fact that the secret things belong to the Lord. The things that are revealed to us are revealed to us and our children forever. Okay, so we don't know who the twenty-four elders are, and that is why I said it is. It could well be that Melchizedek was one of them. It could well be. It's my own theory, you know. Um, but you don't have to. You don't have to get on board with it. But there is no sufficient evidence from the Bible that Melchizedek was Jesus Christ or that Melchizedek was God. And um, the other day, Nina and I were talking and she, she also mentioned uh, the captain of the Lord's host in, in, in uh, Joshua chapter, I think that's Joshua chapter 5 and verse 14. Okay, but also, um, just in case there's any of us thinking in that direction, the captain of the Lord's host is an actual angel that is a captain Take note of the words, captain of the Lord's host. Okay, God is called the Lord of hosts or the Lord of the hosts. But that guy was a captain of the Lord's host. Okay, so these are two distinct personalities. But there is an appearance of God in the Old Testament. And we're going to take a look at that before we continue. So let's take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 18. Now, it is very, very, very explicit. It says, and the Lord appeared unto him that's abraham 
in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his high, his eyes. Now, how did the Lord appear? And looked, and lo, three men, so they appeared looking like men, stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Now, it is clear here, the Lord. Every time you see the Lord in all caps, it is what we call Yahweh, or what uh, they call in the English um, Jehovah, but in the in the Hebrew, it's actually yod He vav He. That's um, uh, Y-H-W-H. It's pronounced yod He vav He. Uh, Yahweh doesn't really have, the, the, the name really doesn't have a, a pronunciation per se. It's just yod he vav he okay but they call it yahweh for for ease for the sake of ease okay it says and yahweh now yahweh is the name of god okay just like my name is chubi the name of god is yahweh all right it's important we just understand that the name of god is yahweh okay so and Yahweh appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. now there is something very interesting about this scripture the Bible is clear that God is invisible. The Bible is very clear that God is invisible, at least to the natural human eyes. Uh, uh, the Bible says in, in, I think it's First Timothy, that now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, the Bible says he, that's Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Now, that scripture is in, it's important. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What is this telling us? It means that every time we see the image of God, it has to be a manifestation of Christ. Let's take a look at those scriptures. Don't take my word for it. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Colossians 1 15. Or let's, let's, let's read from verse 14 just to give us a better perspective in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins so we know this is talking about jesus who is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of every creature now let's look at the same colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 it says for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the godhead bodily in him dwells all the fullness of of the godhead bodily uh, another another scripture i think it's in hebrew says that he's the express image okay of uh, uh, you know uh, let, let's see hebrews chapter chapter 1 hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 i think hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 it says uh from verse 3 it says who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high okay so jesus is it calls him the express image of his person calls him the image of the invisible god and it calls him the, the 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 fullness that in him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Um, you know, for us to understand who Jesus is, we need to have a clear understanding of what the Trinity is. I know some Christians do not believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in the Trinity. And one of the reasons they don't believe in the Trinity is because it confuses them. And... And it remains one of the biggest arguments uh, against Christianity that we are polytheists. A polytheist is somebody that worships more than one God. Okay? Uh, that Christians are polytheists because we worship three gods. The Father, the Son, and then the, the Holy Spirit. But no. Uh, let, let me just try to explain very quickly what the Trinity is. God is one in being. But he is he, he is three in person. I am a human being. Okay? But uh, I am a person. And my name is Chubby. I don't know how many of us have seen the movie Matrix before. Um, Agent Smith. Matrix is an old 
quite an old movie. Uh, those of us that are into movies, Agent Smith, you know, he he had the ability to multiply himself, like really multiply himself. I don't know if if there was a limit to how much he could multiply himself. Now try to imagine being able to multiply yourself, but each of the each of the aspect, each of the person that comes out of you is able to manifest different attributes about you. Okay, so Jesus came out of the Father. The Holy Spirit came out of the Father. They are one with the Father, but they are just able to, 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 uh, to manifest different attributes of the same being. Um, okay, Christy is asking, God is invisible even to those in heaven. No, that's, that's not what I said. God is invisible to the human eyes, okay? God is invisible to us in this realm, okay? God is invisible to us in this realm. So we can, we can really summarize the Trinity into this. The Father is the Godhead. Father means source. He's the Godhead and the source of everything, okay? Jesus proceeded out of God, but he is the dimension of God that men could interact with. Uh, the, the Bible says that the things which we have seen, which we have heard, which our hands have handled, okay? So Jesus was that dimension of God that could interact with flesh and blood. The Holy Spirit is the dimension of God that resides in man or that interacts with man directly. None of us has interacted with the Father directly. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is that dimension of God that we interact with. Jesus is that dimension of God that has a body. And then the Father is the source of everything. So people in heaven, I don't know, people in heaven, I'm sure they can see the Father. Okay, but when it comes to this earth and when it comes to our physical senses, I know there are people that said they've seen the Holy Spirit before. Okay, uh, I know there are people, I, I won't call them liars. Um, I know there are people that say, that say they've seen the Holy Spirit, but they didn't say he looked like a person. Said they described something. They, they just described something, but he wasn't. He he didn't have uh, like a body, uh, hand, feet, nose, mouth, and all of that stuff. So the point is, if you see a manifestation of God with a body, that is Jesus, because that's what the Bible says. He is the image of the invisible God. So if you see an image, that is Jesus. So it is safe to say that what Abraham saw or the person Abraham met with was a manifestation of Jesus Christ. I said it is safe to say that. Because you see, uh, when you go on in, in Genesis chapter 19 now, uh, when, when the, remember three men came, to, three men came to, to Abraham. But when they went to Sodom, it was just two of them. So God had done, God was done speaking with Abraham and God left. So it was God and two angels that came to Abraham and then it was two angels that went to Sodom. Okay, now this is um, as clear as it gets about the manifestation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, about the physical manifestation. Um, there are other ones that meanings can be read into, okay? But uh, every time... If it is God, he is called Yahweh. If he is not called Yahweh, uh, I don't think it is proper for us to assume that it is God. If Melchizedek was Yahweh, the Bible would have told us that. Okay, so um, let's not, um, yeah, let's not make those assumptions and and those those speculations. Okay, somebody's saying to be honest, I'm sometimes conscious to kind of worship at times because i once read good morning holy spirit by penny Hinn and he explained how they differ mm, okay okay um yeah I, I i completely get that and i completely get i've been there too and then you, you want to pray you don't know if you should pray to the holy spirit or pray to the father or pray to jesus you want to worship you don't know who to worship if you should worship the father if you should worship jesus or if you should, if you should worship the Holy Spirit. Well, the, the thing is, Jesus was very clear about who we should pray to. He said, um, "In that day, you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatever you ask the Father in my name." Okay, so we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. The same way we worship the Father 
in the name of Jesus. Am I saying it's wrong to worship Jesus? No, it's not wrong to worship Jesus. Okay, but um, you know, just to it's it's very very important that we get the perspectives correctly. Um, you cannot worship one without the other. Jesus was very clear. He said. If you hate me, you hate my father. If you love me, you love my father. If you've seen me, you have seen my father. Remember when uh, when Thomas said to Jesus, show us the father. And Jesus said, I've been with you this long and you still don't know who the father is. This is the father. In other words, you are not going to get any closer to the father than what you are seeing right now. Because Jesus is the image of the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. And so whatever you do to Jesus, you do to the Father. You cannot separate them. Okay, they don't get jealous of each other. And then the Father is sitting there and saying, Hmm, all the worship is going to Jesus right now. I think I need to do something about this guy. No, you, you cannot honor one and dishonor the other. You cannot honor them separately. What you do to one, you know, you do to, you do to, to, to all. Um, Nina said, I've read somewhere that Benny Hinn said the Godhead personalities are nine in total. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with their own different spirit, soul, and body, making it nine. Wow. Um, okay, thank God for Benny Hinn. Um, did he give you scriptures for that? I'd like to see the scriptures he used. Um, if, if you have scriptures for that, I'd really like to see it. But no, the Holy Spirit does not have a body. And uh, the father does not have a physical body. He, he obviously has a body that manifests in that realm, but it's not a body that we can relate with in this realm. Um, the Bible is clear. I've showed us at least three scriptures where it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the express image of his person. He is the, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay? Bodily. Colossians 2.9. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily the godhead has no other body apart from jesus let's get that straight but if you can uh maybe check and if i'd like i'd really like to see the scriptures that that were used i'd really really like to see the scriptures that were used so um these are some of the manifestations of jesus christ in the old testament uh, as the son of man with uh, not manifestation references rather he's referred to as the son of man in daniel chapter 7 verse 13 he's referred to as yahweh in genesis chapter 18 that we read earlier ah okay this is this is very interesting just to give us um, a very a very solid case for the trinity for people that argue against the trinity i want to give us two very solid cases for the trinity the first one and I'm not going to use anything from the New Testament. The first one is Genesis chapter 1 uh, from verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay? And the form was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay? The word God there is Elohim, which is plural. Okay? And then in verse 26, something very interesting happens god said let us make man in our image and our likeness so that shows the plurality of the godhead let us make man in our image and our likeness so it shows the plurality of the godhead now so basically what is our image and our likeness like i said jesus is the image of the invisible god so basically god was saying let us make man in the image of jesus let us make man in our image he didn't say in our images and in our likenesses and we know he wasn't talking about angels this was elohim speaking he wasn't talking about angels he was talking about you know this was the godhead having a conversation having a meeting with the godhead and God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Okay, this is the most powerful scripture that can be used to, um, you know, <clears throat> to, to make a case for the Trinity. Because like I said, there are believers that do not believe in the Trinity. Um, let me show you another scripture. Um, this comes to light when you read it in the King James, in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 16. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 16. It says, Come ye near unto me, hear ye this, 
I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that I was, that it was. Where am I? And now the Lord God and His Spirit has sent me. Now, um, you, you can read the, the entire chapter to give you uh, the context. Okay, so this is God speaking from 16. Okay, this is God speaking through the chapter. He's saying, come ye near unto me, hear this. This is God speaking. Take note of this. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was. There am I. This is God speaking. And now the Lord God and his spirit has sent me. Hold on. This is God speaking. And he's saying the Lord God and his spirit has sent me. So Yahweh and the spirit of Yahweh has sent Yahweh. So it's like saying Chubi and Chubi has sent Chubi. Basically, that's what he's saying. Okay, now somebody will think, okay, so how then did the Jews not understand the concept of the Trinity? Like I have always said, Revelation is progressive. Revelation is progressive. And those of them that have, you know, that God has opened their eyes to see it, they have uh, finally accepted the divinity of Christ. And um, I, I, I hope all of us got that. But yeah, just um, so, so there, there are Old Testament scriptures that are clear about the divinity of Christ. And, you know, someone might ask, OK, how is Jesus both God and the son of God at the same time? And I'll get into that very, very shortly. So, um, OK, like I said, God is called Yahweh in Genesis. Jesus is called Yahweh rather in Genesis chapter 18. He's called Yahweh in Isaiah 48, 16. He's called Elohim in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And then let me show you another interesting scripture. Uh, I'm sure it's a scripture that we all know. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It's a scripture that I'm sure most of us can quote by heart. But um, I'm, I hope that we'll be able to see the gravity of it tonight. It says, For unto us a child is born. So this is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And hear what it says next. And, he shall be call, and his name shall be called Wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace these are all names of jesus christ unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father how many fathers do we have Yes, it's okay to use the Godhead and Trinity interchangeably. Yes, Christy, um, it's 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 okay to use the, the Godhead and the and the Trinity interchangeably. Okay, we have one Father, right? But it's saying that this Son is going to be called the Everlasting Father, and this, my friends, is in the Old Testament. This is in the Old Testament. Now you'll be wondering, how did the Jews miss this? Because it's clear, it's in their own text. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this okay so jesus is called uh, is referred to as a king in in this scripture that we just read talking about the government shall be upon his shoulder and in in um in psalm 110 from verse 1 to 4 where it says the lord said unto my lord sit down at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool the lord said unto my lord okay so these are these are very clear scriptures that you will wonder because let me let me say this very quickly a lot of persons especially skeptics you know they hate john and i'll explain why they hate john that's um the, the apostle john because if you notice in the bible uh there, there were certain revelations there were certain ways as a matter of fact the, the the gospel of john is not considered among the synoptic gospels okay why because john talked about jesus from a very different perspective uh, he started his own gospel. I mean, Matthew started with history. Luke started with history. Mark started with a little bit of history. But Jesus, uh, uh, John comes and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is the only person that 
describes Jesus as the Word of God. In John chapter 1 verse 1, he does it. In, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, he said there are three that bear witness. The Father, uh, the, the, um, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, and then in the book of Revelation, it says he saw one sitting on a white horse and he had a belt, you know, on his waist and on it was written the word, his name rather was the word of God. So Revelation was written by John. First John was written by John. The gospel of John was written by John. So every time you see Jesus called the word of God in the Bible, it was John that said it. Why is this important? It is because John did not just write about Jesus from a historical standpoint. He wrote about Jesus from a standpoint of revelation. Now, the first book the Apostle John wrote was the book of Revelation, and then he wrote the epistles. That's why if you notice in the, in the epistles, he's talking about the Antichrist a lot. You know, the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming. Why? Because he had received the revelation. And then the gospel was the last that he wrote. But by the time he was writing the Gospels, he had a certain, the Jesus he knew was not just the Jesus on earth. He knew Jesus based on who he was on earth and what he had seen, you know, in heaven. So the, the Gospel of John is the Gospel that kind of uh, talks about the deity of Christ more than every other Gospel. And, you know, when, you, when next you read the Gospel of John, take note. Things like, I and my father are one. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. Statements like that. I think suddenly, after John had that revelation, he realized how important those statements were. And John starts with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You know, uh, uh, Simon said, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? They say, some say you are the prophet, some say you are this, some say you are that, you know. And, and, and then when Simon Peter said, you are Jesus the Christ, son of the living God. What did Jesus say? He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. So the revelation of his sonship, or rather his sonship was a revelation, okay? That was the one that they received on earth. But John went a level higher and he got to see not just the sonship of Jesus but the divinity of Jesus and that's why he could boldly say in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God all things were made by him and without him there was not anything made that was made and then in verse 14 he goes on to say and the word became flesh and dwelt among us Okay, there, there is no, you know, there, there's this guy, Reno Amokri, I'm sure most of you know him. There was a time he wrote on Twitter that there is no scripture that calls Jesus God. And then I, I just copied and pasted those verses for him. Uh, till today, I'm waiting for his response. He never responded to me. Um, I, I didn't argue with him. I just copied the verses and pasted on his, on his, uh, <laughs> on his timeline and, and I never got a response from him. You know, but these are very explicit scriptures that talk about the divinity of God. Okay, so Jesus is referred to as a king in Psalm 110 from verse 1 to 4. He is referred to as a prophet in Deuteronomy chapter 18 uh, verses 15. 18 and 19 where Moses said that you know God will raise from among you another prophet that is just like me okay and uh, the Muslims have tried to use that scripture to mean that uh, that prophecy was about Muhammad but it can't be about Muhammad because Muhammad is not Jewish and the scripture is very clear that God will raise a prophet from among you who is you know one of your brethren let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18 it says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. Okay? Muhammad was Arab. He wasn't Jewish. So this guy is talking about Muhammad. Like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. So this is uh, another prophecy about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, why is Jesus called the Son of God? And why is it that some scriptures uh, refer to him as subordinate? Okay, um, you know, there, there, there were places in the Bible where Jesus said, My Father is greater than I. There were places in the Bible where Jesus said, The time and the hour, nobody knows. Not, I don't know it, not even the angels, except my Father, which is in heaven. And so, some persons have used it to preach a, subordin a subordination doctrine that, um, okay, Jesus may well be God, but he is not equal with the Father. And this is a problem. The reason this is a problem means that if Jesus is not equal with the Father, 
It simply means that we serve three gods or we worship three gods. That is the implication. You see, but um, Philippians chapter chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus is equal with God. They are co-equal, they are co-eternal. But for the sake of the role he plays, sometimes, like when he was on earth, I think it was last week, we talked a a little bit about the humanity of Jesus and how, uh, how do you call it? Uh, Jesus, if Jesus had known that there was no fruit on that fig tree, he wouldn't have been disappointed, but he did not know. It's as simple as that. He simply did not know that the fig tree did not have fruits. Otherwise, he could have stood there and said, ah, that fig tree does not have fruits. But Jesus was human. He went to the toilet. He needed to have a bath. If he didn't have a bath, he would smell. Jesus was a human. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He slept. He slept so bad there was a storm he didn't know. Okay, so when Jesus said some of those things like, you know, I don't know these things except my Father which is in heaven. It is important we understand the context. He was on the earth as a man, as a son of man, and as the son of God. Son of God because the Bible says that um, 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 when the angel came to Mary, he said, the, 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 he said, the power of the Most High shall overshadow you and you shall conceive a son of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the point is this. And, and, and this is where the argument of the Muslims that Jesus is not the Son of God does not make any sense. Because they believe in the virgin birth. Let me, let me shock some of us that may not know much about Islam. The Muslims believe Jesus was a prophet. They believe in his virgin birth. Okay, if he was born of a virgin, then who was his father? Definitely God was his father. I mean, it's very simple. Okay, the Muslims believe in the ascension of Jesus. They believe Jesus did miracles. And they believe in the second coming of Christ. Some of you may not know that. But they actually believe Christ is coming back. And they are expecting him. Just that what they, what they expect him to do is quite different from what we... You know, it's quite different from what we expect him to do when he returns. But they believe that Jesus is coming back. But you see, there are two fundamental things that they don't believe. And that is what makes us different. They do not believe that Jesus was crucified. And they do not believe that he resurrected. And the Bible is clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's number one. Number two, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says that if Christ is not resurrected, then our faith is in vain. So our faith as believers is hinged on the resurrection of Christ. So believing that Jesus was a prophet is not enough. Believing that Jesus is the Messiah like the Muslims do is not enough. Believing that Jesus is coming back is not enough. You need to believe in his death and his resurrection. And that is the difference. And like, you know, like Enehagin always said, when Satan, when, 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 when you want to poison a dog, you don't give it a bowl of poison. You take good food and you put some poison in it. And most of the, the religions out there confusing people, they've taken some really good things, you know. And um, big man, big man sent me a, a clip the other day of one, uh, one, one shake in America. You know the way he was talking about Jesus, eulogizing Jesus, saying that Jesus is not just a prophet; he's called the Messiah. He's on a different level from every other prophet that always existed. And Christians were getting excited, and just like I'm not getting carried away with this because you are still a Muslim. It doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus if you do not believe that he died and that he resurrected. It's not enough to believe that he died. It's not enough to believe that he resurrected. You need to believe both that he died and that he resurrected you cannot be saved now remember when i started i said jesus is called a lot of things in the bible and some of them are very very um permit me to use the word uh contradictory permit me to use the word contradictory he is called the lion he's also called the lamb okay um he said in 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 mark chapter 10 and verse 45 he said the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that was why jesus came now please um we'll get back to this scripture okay because it's going to settle some doubts about the operations of jesus during his early ministry 
He said, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus is both a servant and a king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. But when he came, he said, I came to serve. Okay, so, so these are some of the... He, he's a priest, he's a prophet. You know, th these are some of the different duties of Jesus Christ that we need to consolidate to have a proper understanding of who he is and why some things are the way they are. For instance, I, I hope I have been able to establish that Jesus is Yahweh. If Jesus is Yahweh, it means that Jesus was the one that destroyed with the flood, the, the, destroyed the world with a flood. It means that Jesus was the one that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Please, I need you to follow attentively. It means that every time that God ordered the children of Israel to go and wipe out any nation, Jesus was the one giving that order. It means Jesus was the one that gave the Ten Commandments and the laws of Moses. It means Jesus was the one that said, if somebody becomes an apostate, kill the person to remove corruption from the land. And then this same Jesus shows up and he's saying, if they slap you on this cheek, turn the other one. And he's saying, love your enemies. Now, it, it looks really different. What is, and if, if we don't understand this, uh, when we are confronted with these questions, we are going to fumble. We are going to fumble. Because we say Jesus is God. And people are arguing with us, Jesus is not God, Jesus is not God. They're saying, Jesus is God, Jesus is God. Okay, they say, okay, finally, okay, we agree, Jesus is God. So how come he is so different in the Old Testament from <laughs> from how he was in the New Testament. What is the problem? And your Bible says Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why is he acting differently? Something else I need to address. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were cast into the fire, right? And then, uh, was it Nebuchadnezzar now, Darius? Went and saw them and he said, ah, I see a fourth person. And, you know, he's, he's looking like the son of God and some persons have used that to say that's a manifestation manifestation of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament but that is not true the real rendering of that of that sentence is he looks like a son of the gods because the concept of the son of God as a matter of fact remember it was a revelation to Peter not everybody had that understanding about Jesus Christ. So there was no way Nebuchadnezzar would know the Son of God. He knew nothing about Jesus. There was no way. Okay, But what Nebuchadnezzar was simply trying to say is, okay, this person in the fire looks like a divine being. He looks like a divine being. But when you read some other translations, actually put it properly, that he looks like a son of the gods. Okay, So that was not Jesus. That was an angel in that fire. It wasn't Jesus. God did not need, God, God, God did not need to send Jesus for... I, I mean... Okay, so... Um, let's go back to what I was saying. Why is the Old Testament so brutal? And then Jesus comes and he's the Prince of Peace. He's so peaceful. And then again, don't forget, when he returns, he's going to be brutal. The Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron. The Bible says that... Uh, 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 oh, I'm, I'm forgetting the scriptures. The, the Bible makes us understand that he's going to destroy the Antichrist with the with the utterance of his lips. When you read scriptures about, about the battle of Armageddon, you will know that it is the fiercest thing that this planet has ever seen. And Jesus is coming with wrath and vengeance. So why is God harsh in the Old Testament, kind in the Gospels, harsh in the book of Revelation? Let me try and explain something. Now, why, why, why is it important we are able to answer this question? <laughs> because the God in the Old Testament is the same God as the God in the New Testament. And I have seen people say things like, um, you know, uh, you know they, they try to mumble it up and say all of those killings in the Old Testament were not sanctioned by God. Why? Because when Jesus manifested, he didn't hurt anybody. He didn't kill anybody. He was all kind. And Jesus is the expression of the image of God. So uh, God is all kind and God doesn't kill people. And so anything that was done in the Old Testament wasn't God. Uh, we must have missed. Mis you know, some have even gone as far as saying that angels caused the flood. Do you know? Are you kidding me? Like angels on their own will go and cause a flood that will consume all of mankind. So who told Noah to build the ark? An angel? 
<laughs> you know, let's let's be honest. It, it, I think the problem is the theory just doesn't add up, and so we we, we the, the more we try to reinterpret and reinterpret, we fumble and fumble and fumble. Okay, God was the architect of the flood. He destroyed the earth. He killed everybody, including babies. Don't forget, including babies including babies sodom and gomorrah he wiped out everybody including babies don't tell me there were no babies in sodom when when the destruction happened okay so what is the problem what is the difference i explained this in the previous series and i'll try to do that again tonight let me start like this satan is not the origin of sin satan is not the origin of sin uh the, the bible says that you were perfect Okay, you were perfect in beauty until iniquity was found in thee. So iniquity was not always in him. Once upon a time, it was found in him. Now, this is a theory. You can, you can, you can take it on board. You can discard it. This is a theory. I don't have enough scriptures to back this up. But the Bible is clear that Satan was in Eden. Okay? Um, if, if you've not listened to the series on creation fall, Please try and listen to it. It will it will help clear a lot of these things. Uh, it's a podcast. It's out there. Satan was in Eden, the Garden of Eden. Now we know that in the Garden of Eden there was a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I personally believe that Satan ate of that tree, and that was when he began to learn wickedness. Do you think all of this evil that is in Satan right now was always in him? No. It was progressive. Just like man wasn't always this evil. The evil of man was progressive. And it is a product of that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the origin of sin, not the devil. And this is why in the book of Revelation... I think Revelation 19, when Satan is cast into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years, there will still be rebels on earth. Think about that. Satan is not here anymore. The demons are not here to cause people to sin anymore. But there will still be people that will rebel against Christ and his reign. This is to tell us that sin is not in the devil like satan is not the origin of sin sin is in the fallen nature of man that tree adam ate it and through his blood it has moved from generation to generation and the bible in romans chapter one it says that people have you know people devise new ways of 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 committing sin you know the the things that we see now i I, I was saying recently uh uh, that jk rollins the woman that wrote harry potter is being um, attacked simply because she said she was going to keep calling people women instead of calling them people that menstruate like they they, they now consider our generation now considers calling people women transphobic we now consider calling people women a hate speech we we should call them women with uterus and no people with a uterus or people with uh, people that menstruate are you kidding me but that's our generation and trust me if jesus tarries 50 years from now it's going to be worse there are there are, there are states in america that are already considering legalizing uh, uh, pedophilia okay things that we thought unimaginable 20 years ago they are becoming the norm today and the norm is uh, you know I, I mean call people men and women but they say no it's now transphobic to call people men and women it means you hate transgender people are you kidding me but that is you know somebody will say ah the devil the devil believe me take the devil out of the equation and man will still be wicked now why am i saying this because of the fallen nature of man remember i also said this in previous teaching the fall of man did not just affect man it also affected man's environment okay so when you see uh when you see the animals god created every animal to be vegetarian where did they learn to hunt where did the lions learn to kill where did mosquitoes learn to suck blood who taught them it wasn't the devil it was the fall of man that caused man and his environment to degenerate trees were not meant to die but now trees shed leaves it was all a product of the fall of man 
death was not in the equation but now animals are eating animals and they're even eating human beings it wasn't the devil that taught them the fall of man taught them so 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 it shows that the the things we do don't just affect us they also affect our environment now in the old testament When God saw a level of corruption, he had to put a stop to it. Why? Because man's nature would only continue to degenerate. And there was no solution for that. And so when you read Leviticus numbers, uh, he'll say, you know, you should, you should, uh, you know, kill that person and, and, and take that evil away from your midst, you know. Because there's a level of evil once people begin to get engaged in. Uh, that the only solution then was to get rid of them. And that was why God had to wipe out entire communities, entire nations, because of, because of the kind of evil that they practiced. Remember what I said, it did not only affect them, it also affected their environment. And so the only way to get rid of or to cut short the spread of that kind of evil was to kill those people. But then Jesus comes and he brings life and now the nature of man can be changed this was not possible in the old testament so now it doesn't matter how terrible a person has been it doesn't matter how vile it doesn't matter how bad the kind of acts that they were involved in that nature can be changed bible says if any man be in christ he is a new creation Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This, my friends, makes a lot of difference. And this is why people, when I hear people say things like, if God does not judge this generation, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an an apology. No, he does not owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. He will never owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Why? Because we have the blood of Jesus. They did not. He doesn't owe them an apology. And this makes all the difference because it doesn't matter how terrible the nature of man is, it can be changed through eternal life, through the cleansing by the blood of Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so God does not need to say, kill apostates anymore. He doesn't need to say, ah, to remove this kind of evil from your land, you have to kill the person anymore. Because we now have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the person that can change people and remove whatever kind of evil it is from our midst. I hope you understand the difference. Now, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus returns, it is very simple. It's because he has come to the end of the rope. He has offered law. He has offered grace. And people have continued to rebel and so there is only one solution and that is to wipe you know the, the bible says that he is going to crush all rebellion okay so when we say jesus uh jesus is this he's nice he's he's kind he's gentle he never beat anybody he never hurt anybody we need to understand why he came why he came mark 10 45 the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came and that's why he did the things he did. Jesus was not a king when he was on earth. Nobody called him king. In fact, they wanted to make him king and he ran away. But there's a prophecy over him that he's supposed to be king. Okay, so we need to understand why he came. Then, only then, are we going to understand why he acted the way he did. It's not because... God's nature has changed. It's not because God has become soft towards rebellion. It is because at the time he came, he came to serve and to offer his life a ransom to many. And so his approach needed to be different. Jesus did not come to judge. He did not come to rule. He did not express the lion dimension of him. Okay, so while he was on earth, he was a servant and he was a sheep. John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Okay, So Jesus came as a lamb. He came to serve. He did not come to rule. In the book of Revelation, he is going to come as a king and a lion. The same Jesus, different assignments. Same person, different assignments. Let's, it, it's, 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 it's important that we clear this so that we don't, we don't give people a false representation of who God is or who Christ is and try to make it look like ah if it's harsh it's not God 
no all those harsh things that happened in the old testament cannot be god because jesus was gentle meek and mild so god is always gentle meek and mild and he will always be gentle meek and mild i asked a guy when he was telling me that god could not have killed all those people in the old testament i said i have one question for you he said ask i said do you believe that god created i said who created the lake of fire he said god i said god created the lake of fire wow he said yes i said wow do you think going to the lake of fire is nicer than killing somebody <laughs> that is the worst kind of punishment that exists in the universe and in eternity and god is the author of it god is kind god is merciful god is gracious but god is also just and god is also vengeful he said vengeance is mine god is going to have vengeance don't be mistaken jesus said the father has committed all judgments to the son it is jesus that will tell people depart from me you workers of iniquity the same jesus the same jesus so a balanced understanding of who jesus is and why he manifested in you know why he manifested himself differently at different points is very 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 key so that we don't we don't just fumble because you know all of these other theories you cannot be consistent if you say jesus um you know couldn't have done all those things that were done in the old testament then you are inadvertently saying that jesus is not god or you are saying that we worship different gods so the one that was mean in the old testament um, Jesus came and said, you know what? You are too harsh. You need to calm down. Now, let me show you how we do this thing, man. Let me just show you how we do it. I'm going to be nice to these people and you see how they respond. No, that's not how it works. Same God. Same God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Simply because he's showing a dimension of him now does not mean that is all of it that exists. Yeah, there's, there's that harsh side, uh, you know. If you see uh, in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that there were flames in, in one of his manifestations, that his eyes were like flames of fire, and his hair was white like wool, and his voice was like thunder. And you know, things like that, like, and you're wondering, who is this? Is this the same Jesus? Like, his voice is like the sound of many waters, and his eyes are this, and his hair is white like this. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? What, what's going on here? It, it's important we have a balanced perspective jesus did not reveal everything about himself when he was on the earth and like i always say um you know john worked with jesus christ for three and a half years and in the book of revelation he was saying things about jesus that he did not know and then we think that we can know everything about jesus because we read matthew mark luke and john these are the people that wrote the things that we are reading and we think we know everything about jesus and they saw jesus in certain dimensions that they could not comprehend you know so we need to be humble about some of these things and know that uh, there's there's a lot more about god that we need to know jesus is lion his lamb his servant his king okay you see you see the contrast his lion his lamb so you can you can see the servant and then think ah, there's no king in here he's just a servant or you can see the lamb and think oh there's no harshness in here no lions are very tough animals and uh, the Bible did not use horse. The Bible did not use donkey. If the Bible wanted to insinuate strength, it could have used horse. Right? The Bible did not use horse. The Bible did not use donkey. The Bible used lion. There's a reason for that. Okay, he said, I'm wondering why God made the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Sincerely, I agree. Okay, your theory about Satan eat, eating the fruit first. Okay, well, yes, I, I think uh, God, God really gave put that tree there to give people an opportunity to disobey if they wanted to okay um if i tell you don't eat the food in the pot and then there's really no food in the pot how can you disobey me i have forced the obedience right but if i say don't disobey me don't eat the food in the pot and then there is actually food in the pot then your choice can honor me but if I say, don't eat the food in the pot, and there's no food in the pot, and then I come back and you did not eat the food in the pot, I will never really know if you meant to honor me or not. But when there's food in the pot, and you obey me and not eat the food in the pot, then I will know that this person has honored me. So yes, God had to give an out. Like, if you decide to disobey me, there, you can go. Okay? And you know, some someone asked recently why uh, Satan would be released from 
exactly opportunity to exercise free will why satan will be released from from the from the bottomless pit after 1000 years to deceive people one more time and i said everybody needs to get a taste of satan everybody needs to get a feel of satan otherwise it would not be fair because then some people would tell god you know we 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 fell because there was satan these people lived 1000 years and there was no satan okay so everybody is going to get an opportunity to be tempted adam got an opportunity to be tempted jesus got an opportunity to be tempted you and i have had opportunities to be tempted every human being that passes through the face of the earth and reaches the age of accountability will get the opportunity to be tempted okay nina said uh <laughs> Speaking about Jesus in the Gospels, I believe that when he met with the demon-possessed man, the demons addressed him as Jesus, the son of the Most High God. But Jesus corrected them because uh, but he didn't really correct them. He just hushed them. And yes, that is, that is interesting because really uh, there were certain things about himself that he did not want to be public. Um, not, not, not necessarily. When you say addressing him as such would have meant he didn't have the legal right on earth. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because really, Jesus did not do any miracles until he was anointed. So, just like everybody else, Jesus had to be anointed to do anything on the face of the earth. But I, I believe that there were certain dimensions of himself that he did not want to be made public. Okay? Um, just like Peter. That, and this is why Jesus never went around saying... Uh, I am the son of God or he didn't go around saying I am God you know because that was not what he came for he came to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many and so all of those things would have been unnecessary uh, you know uh, distractions I mean think about it when Jesus said I, I think it's in John chapter 8 when he said before Abraham was I am did you notice what happened there they wanted to kill him they wanted to kill him. And by the way, you know, while while I still have a few minutes, let's take a look at that scripture. I want to show us something there very quickly. Genesis, uh, no, John chapter 8, verse 56. John 8, 56. Yes, Festus, exactly so. The purpose of Jesus' coming influenced the nature of his manifestation. I think you can summarize everything that I have said in that in that one statement. Absolutely. And that's why the purpose of his coming in, in, the, in the second coming is also going to influence the nature of his manifestation. Uh, let's look at John chapter 8. You know, I saw this recently and um, John chapter 8 and verse 56. Let's take a look at let's take a look at it. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad please take note of this your father you're talking to the, to the pharisees your father abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad now take note of the next verse then said the jews unto him thou art not yet 50 years old and hast thou seen abraham Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, but that's not, that's not the point of my attention. The point, of, the point I want us to pay, take atten uh, pay attention to is 56 and 57. I want to analyze this statement before we close, okay? Just hang in there. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it. So this is past tense, right? And was glad, past tense. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Past tense. Okay, but when you read most of your Bibles, it makes it look like Jesus was speaking prophetically that Abraham uh, rejoiced to see his day. That's the manifestation of Jesus in the future. And he saw it, that's prophetically, and was glad. But if that was the case, I want us to reason together, okay? Don't take my words for it. If that was the case, why would the Jews be upset? Because Abraham was a prophet. And so for Jesus to say, Abraham wanted to see a manifestation of me in my time. He saw it and he rejoiced. If that was what Jesus said, it would not have warranted the next part. Where the Jews said, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Because everything here, they are talking about a past event. But yeah, as we wrap up, um, I, I really appreciate that statement Festus made that the purpose of Jesus influenced his manifestations and the things, you know, some of the things that he did and did not do. 
So having this is going to really clear a lot of things because I, I've heard it going around. I've heard men of God that I respect say it. I've heard young ministers coming up teaching these things that Jesus never hurt anybody. So God does not hurt people. Um, every Everything that happened in the Old Testament was people either acting on their own or angels acting without being commanded by God. This is not scriptural. Let us stop. Uh, let us stop it. It is not scriptural. The Bible is clear that God destroyed the earth with a flood. The Bible is clear that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible is clear that God ordered the massacre and the annihilation of certain kingdoms. And um, it is it is sad that some persons think that three and a half years of the life and ministry of Jesus, of which we have just a, a, a fraction of the details of those three and a half years. You know, it, it's very unfortunate that some persons think. They now know God completely and uh, anything out of those manifestations of Jesus Christ cannot be of God. Um, it's, it's, it's a terrible error that we must not allow to spread because um, it's not going to help the body, it is going to hurt the body.